This episode of the Off Course Podcast is brought to you by Srixon Golf. Boasting an incredibly diverse golf ball lineup, golfers can find the perfect performance and presentation for their game at a price point that works for their wallet. For more information on Srixon Golf Balls, visit us.dunlopsports.com slash srixon slash balls. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. Hello, you golfing legends, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the original Off Course. I'm your host, Dan Edwards, and joining me this week from Super Speed Golf is Mr. Mike Napoleon and Tyler Standiford. Gentlemen, it's well, it's great to have you today. Dan, thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, excited to be here with you, Dan. It's it's kind of a unique show. It's normally a one-on-one, so it's going to be like a one-on-one-on-one. I'm, I'm pretty looking forward to it because I feel like uh, adding that additional direction is going to be great to not only tell your story, but keep me in line here today. So uh, first of all, I'd love to get to know a little bit about the Super Speed Golf history. Uh, doing a little bit of research, it seems to me that you guys have been around for over a decade now. So how's that changed? Yeah, I'll take that one, Tyler. We're um, we sort of grew out of a big coaching academy that that uh, I owned in the Chicago market called Catalyst Golf Performance. Uh, that that company's actually still going. We sold it back in 2017, um, and we launched Super Speed Golf a little before that in 2014. So uh, Kyle Shea and I uh, ran that academy business for a long time. I managed all of the golf coaching and equipment side of it. He managed all the health, wellness, fitness training, and those aspects of our, our coaching business. And um, really, Super Speed grew out of it because it was a type of training um, you know, called overspeed training that we found to be pretty much universally beneficial for everybody that came in. In one way or another, you know, anyone that plays golf tends to have some inefficiencies that negatively affect their speed and power. And you know, overspeed training was just a blanket type thing. It was kind of low-hanging fruit that, you know, anyone that picked it up was going to get better. Um, so we really decided, Kyle and I decided to kind of go all in um, on that overspeed training concept. And that's why we created Superspeed Golf and why we've continued to see success with it for, for a long time. So when it comes down to the actual devices that are being used, they, they look more or less like golf clubs without the heads. There's some weights on the perimeter that uh, I believe – progress heavier as you go through the training process. I think there are five different steps you use. Um, wh- what I'm interested in is, is that more or less what it looked like early on? Is that the design that's stuck with you throughout the years or has it developed a little bit? Yeah. So it has developed slightly. Um, our initial R and D that we did w- was all about creating the right system of weights around that player's driver to optimize this training. And uh, what's interesting and maybe a misconception sometimes is actually two of those three clubs in our primary three club overspeed training system are actually lighter than the player's driver. Uh, So we have a club that's 20% lighter, one that's 10% lighter, and one that's about 5% heavier than the player's driver. And our initial protocols and everything work with all three of those clubs um, working in succession to really help that player move faster and then solidify those speed gains. You know, I think one of the things that's changed the most over the years is as we've gotten more data, more research, um, we've been able to fine tune the training protocols that we use, which is a major point of our overall product. It's always been the physical product, 
plus the training protocols, which allow us to produce these pr consistent speed gain results. And, you know, that's where, you know, why I really like to have Tyler here with us. You know, I think Tyler can explain a little bit of the, the kind of, transformation of some of those protocols over time that have made them even more efficient and, and more effective for golfers. Yeah, I'll jump in. I, I think two parts to that question is uh, I've been doing a lot of testing in my biomechanics lab at the university where I teach, looking at these different weight and length combinations. And, and when, you know, Mike and Kyle began super speed way before I ever came to be, uh, it's been really neat for me to dive into some of the data and see you know, that these weight combinations that are quite close to a driver, far enough away that they get the stimulus of, of the good speed training, but close enough that the mechanics of the movement with those clubs are incredibly similar to a driver so that we're gaining speed the right way, right? We're not getting these players with really light clubs that are just throwing their arms across the ball and hoping for the best. You know, we're seeing good sequences, peaking of the forces, all of the fun stuff that I love to look at. Um, and then as Mike suggested, right, as we looked at the training, you know, optimizing some of the rest periods, the actual number of swings that it takes to get a stimulus, um, you know, we scaled those back a little bit as we work together. Uh, and then a big one is just, you know, for golfers to do this, Dan, it's like, so do I just do this three days a week for the rest of my life? Um, and it's like, well, you know, probably, but if you at least did it once a week, um, after you've trained really hard for a, for a specific time period, you would be able to retain those benefits for a long time period. So, so we really tried to structure it in a way where golfers could utilize this for the next 5, 10, 15 years, as long as they want to hit the ball further than their buddies. So I like the, the early layout of that program. I think it's a really interesting point of the discussion. Um, and mostly because there, there will likely be people listening to the podcast who aren't familiar with the actual super speed experience so i'd love to lay it out this way and let you guys answer since you've seen it thousands of times let's say i go over to my favorite golf website i purchase super speed um it, i get it in the mail it's a box with three sticks in it with weights on the end and i'm staring at it like okay now what he, here's i think a really good opportunity for you to say as soon as those consumers get that box in hand, what's the first play and how does it progress from there? Yeah. So the very first thing that you're going to want to do is go to our website where you have access to all of the training content. So I, I think that's a key and very critical point because we've laid out what to do at these clubs. I would, I would venture to say more specifically than any training aid, training aid that's ever existed in the history of golf. Um, you know, we have more training content and more detail of how to use that training content than anybody. And, and that's, again, I think I'd put that at least at 50% of what you're buying when you buy the product it is all of what to do with the product. Um, so you get the three clubs, you go to the website, you watch some videos. We've got some great stuff about how to make sure you warm up your body properly before doing speed training. Um, another critical point, you know, speed training is not a warm-up. Speed training is about getting faster. So we physically need to be ready to go and in kind of a peak performance state when we're going to do that speed training. So we have all of that content on the website. Then you're going to see our first speed training protocol, which is our level one speed training protocol. And I would say that protocol has changed very little, actually, since um, the initial that we released back back a long time ago in 2014, um, involves starting with the lightest club first, 
making three swings as aggressively as you can, trying to get the fastest speed you possibly can in those three swings with just a normal golf swing, and then switching around and trying to do that exact same thing left-handed if you're right-handed or basically on your non-dominant side and trying to get as fast as you can on that side. As soon as we do that, we're going to move to the blue club and do three swings on either side with that one, trying to maintain those fast speeds, and then we're going to do that with the red club. After we get done with that first little set of exercises, we're going to do a drill we call our step change of direction drill. Basically looks like a pitcher winding up through the, through the motion. So we're going to have that, that player actually allow them to move their feet, plant the lead side a lot more aggressively in the downswing, um, start to feel that amount of, you know, feel that better use of the ground, feel some more sequencing uh, come out of that motion. Do the same pattern going light to heavy through the sets, dominant and non-dominant. And then uh, we're going to finish with three max out swings with that green club trying to set some personal bets. Um, a lot of what happens there has to do with how fast our brain expects our bodies to move. You know, everyone that picks up a golf club is capable of swinging it faster than the neurological system lets them. And that can be for a whole variety of reasons from just you know, my coach told me I'm supposed to swing controlled or, you know, I had this injury in my, you know, left hip a few years ago. And after that, I've never been on swing as fast because, you know, I remember that it hurt, even though it doesn't hurt anymore. You know, whatever it might be, um, we have there's a lot of things that, you know, golfers have in their brain that get in the way of them really even utilizing the amount of speed they're capable of. So that's the first piece of overspeed training is getting past those barriers, just kind of taking the governor off the engine and that's why there's no club head on our, our clubs. It, it gives you that freedom to really let your body work athletically and start to learn what it feels like to move faster. Um, that's really it. I mean, that training protocol takes like seven or eight minutes. It's not a lot of time. With a good, you know, seven or eight minute warm up, you're usually around 15 minutes of total time input for doing that training. And we recommend doing that about three times a week for optimal results. So when it comes down to the whole process itself, it's it's nothing unbelievably out of the ordinary for a golfer. You swing with the exception of, and and, and I think of a golf video I see online when someone gets really mad, they, they're obligated. Instead of throwing a club, you have to take a golf ball in your non-dominant hand and try and throw it as hard as you can. And that's, you know, that's your punishment for being mad. So you talk about the, the whole non-dominant thing. It probably feels a little bit weird. And I want to ask, why is that piece of it so critical? Why is swinging the other direction so critical? I got to let the biomechanics guy take this one. Yeah, so I, I, there's two things, Dan. Um, and, and I think sometimes we explain this in the wrong ways a little bit. And I want to make sure it's clear. Golf is a rotational sport, right? And so I think sometimes we say, well, I wouldn't, if I'm going to do curls on my right side, I should do curls on my left side too. And that's true, right? But when we talk about non-dominant training, we're talking about the idea of when I go up in a curl and down in a curl, that's what we call a concentric contraction and an eccentric contraction of the same muscles, either lengthening or shortening. And physiologically, there are some different things that take place when we use muscles concentrically shortening or eccentrically lengthening. And the eccentric part of it tends to be the stabilization, the slowing down, the maybe transfer of energy, you could say. And so one of the very best ways, if I'm a right to left, I'm a right-handed golfer and I rotate right to left, 
then when I do right to left rotations, I'm using those muscles concentrically. But when I flip around and do a left to right rotation, I'm using those exact same muscles eccentrically. It's like going up and down in a squat, up and down in a bench press. And no one would ever train a bench press and just go up and then let their buddies drop the weight and then push it up again, right? They would never, ever do that. And we shouldn't do that in speed training either. We should be training these muscles concentrically and eccentrically, both sides. They help kind of give us the ability to stabilize segments. And uh, even there's some cool research out there, Dan, that shows that uh, fast eccentric training, which would be like overspeed non-dominant training, uh, increase the, increases the rates of force development in muscles, which is something we want in golf swings. And, and the other component, too, is this motor learning, motor control process, which is we know from a lot of good research that when we give someone tasks that they're mostly familiar with but are a little bit different, parts of their brain really start to kind of fire up. Uh, these visual motor cortexes that really help enhance some of those gains um, and so non-dominant training has always been a part of super speed. Uh, I actually did a study on it, Dan, where I had golfers train only from the non-dominant side. So they did this level one protocol that Mike just described. They were right-handed golfers. They never made one single speed swing from the right-handed side. Every single speed training um, drill they did were left-handed swings as right-handed golfers. And on their right-handed driver swings, they gain, you know, six and a half miles per hour after six weeks of training. Wow. That's so. crazy. I want to talk about what seems to be coming a bit of a, a misnomer out there. There's a discussion about teaching the game of golf and the idea that when the kids are young, you let them swing as hard as they can because you can't teach speed. Uh, I've heard that countless times that let the kids swing as hard as they possibly can. You're clearly proving that a little bit wrong here. There's potential throughout your career in golf to increase speed. Um, so I, I, I have two questions there. Number one, what do you think about it when you hear someone say that about uh, teaching speed, that it can only be taught young? And then on top of that, is there an, an ideal age range to really get involved with super speed? Um, I'm just going to answer, I think, both of those in one one kind of statement. So first of all, it is absolutely scientifically correct that when human beings are developing, that is when we we develop the capacity to create high levels of speed and power. And over the course of development, there's different times in that development when we can optimize kind of genetic expression of, of how that kid's growing and what types of muscle fibers we're getting and all of that kind of different physiological pieces is 100% true. So yes, absolutely is correct that kids need to be swinging for the fences but they also need to be running fast and jumping high and throwing hard and doing every other type of athletic activity that they're doing at high rates of speed heck i would train a golfer who's an adult i would have that player learn what it feels like to swing fast and aggressively before i ever told them to try to make contact with a golf ball because those athletic type pieces are what lead to efficient movement and efficient movement is what we see in the best players in the world. So I think there's a lot of things that are, I think we're doing a better job now training kids with speed and power young than we're even doing with adults who are just starting the game. So that's kind of the first piece. So yes, scientifically, we're absolutely correct. As you grow, you are going to develop your ceiling or your maximum capacity for speed and power for the rest of your life. So it's really, really important. 
The other thing that we see, and I wouldn't say that we're proving any of that science wrong. What we're what we're seeing is that when we have a 45 year old guy come in, the chances that they're functioning at 100 percent of their peak physical capacity is very, very low. Like we've never really even seen that. I mean, even players on the PGA Tour, uh, you know, might at the very best be functioning at 85 to 90 percent of physical capacity. So your amateurs who aren't in the gym all the time, who aren't doing a lot of these other things to train speed and power. I mean, I'm just guessing at this, maybe, maybe functioning at 60 or 65% of what they're actually capable of doing. So that initial, you know, kind of bump that they get from overspeed training isn't, isn't saying, well, we're increasing your ceiling by X amount. We're just going up on the chain a little bit. We're just hitting low hanging fruit, allowing you to access speed. You're already capable of producing um, you know, by kind of getting you out of your own way in some ways, and then doing some of this neuromuscular training, getting the brain to expect a faster speed out of your body. So you, you it seems like super speed, there is a fairly optimal range, but there's no real limit to the levels in which people would use it. There's just no limit to, there's no, every individual person you know, is going to have a peak physical capacity for speed and power. Now, being able to measure that or figure out what that is, is really, really difficult. Like the yeah. actual peak physical capacity. What we know from a whole lot of clinical observation over the last 10 years is that nobody's functioning anywhere close to it. So there's a whole lot of room to gain for anyone that picks this up. What I'm also saying is that if you're not training speed with junior athletes, you are essentially lowering their potential later in life to be extremely powerful elite athletes. And we see this all the time when you look at like world long drive professionals and you ask them like, what types of things did they do when they were kids? And you've got hockey players doing 360 jumps on the ice and just crazy speed and power things that a lot of even high level tour players didn't do. They were doing more traditional training. And there's a reason that these athletes have a higher capacity and that whole chain can go, you know, on a big spectrum from top to bottom. Well, I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about just overall potential because I've seen plenty of tour players at least discuss super speed. Uh, and you certainly don't need to go in depth of detail uh, on specific ones, but guys who have mentioned, Hey, I use this program and it did improve me uh, or, Hey, I haven't been using this program for a little bit. I got back on it and I'm back up again. Um, uh, but when I watch a guy on tour, uh, specifically when you go watch them live, it seems like the amount of efficiency they have is very high to begin with. So when I think about an amateur golfer, is there is there a greater potential for us amateurs to get faster? And, and subsequently, uh, is that smaller from a guy on tour who's already doing a lot of things right as it relates to the golf swing? Yeah. That's a great, that's a great question, Dan. And I, I want to make sure it's clear that anyone would gain speed, but when you start to dive into why people are gaining speed, I think you hit the nail on the head really clearly. It's that our pro athletes, their sequences are probably going to be better than our amateur athletes. Their physical capacity is going to be a little bit better. So we can still overlay some speed on them without a doubt we do. And uh, even a player we're working with who used them, was up high, dropped down to a hundred. This is an LPGA player, started using them again, went back up to 108. I mean, so she had an eight mile per hour drop and then jump when she stopped using them and started again. 
that being said, amateur golfers, you know, we all see a lot of swings out there uh, that aren't the prettiest as, as our, ours are professional golfers. So amateur golfers who tend to not use the ground well, they don't sequence well, you know, they're not maybe doing the training in the gym. I, I would say that in general, amateur golfers are going to have more, get more of their bang for their buck, you would say. With the one caveat that they have to be able to put in their head this proper intent of the training. And I think that's where the pro athletes tend to maybe have them beat out is like an amateur golfer might go out and just go through the motions. If that amateur golfer can lock in, really maximize that intent, swing those clubs as fast as possible, uh, everything improves for that amateur golfer in, in leaps and bounds. Okay. Yeah, I, I would add one thing there too, Tyler. I, I will say this, and I don't want to pick on our LPGA tour players. We have a number of LPGA tour players we work with and have for years. I do have a harder time pulling out like those max intensity swings from those players than we do with a lot of our, our PGA tour players. It seems like at least on the PGA tour at this point, like people are okay with getting after it. Like they're okay with being aggressive and they've sort of gotten over that hump of it's okay to really swing aggressively at the ball. when I'm, when I got driver there, you know, we see it more on the LPGA tour that there's still that mentality that, you know, I'm supposed to be careful. I'm supposed to control this. Um, but we're seeing more and more of those players. And you will, over the next couple of years, especially, start to see some really breakout players over there, uh, over on the LPGA side, that are just absolute great athletes, just and just murdering the ball off the tee. And I think the room to gain on that side is is much, much larger now, even than what you have on the PGA Tour. So, so you kind of danced around something I've been curious about and, and, and by mentioning accuracy and there are plenty of guys out there. You think, you know, they're very controlled in the way they swing, um, very timing based, very committed to that. And, and uh, it seems like that's their entire goal on golf. But I also feel like a lot of the discussion that comes around super speed, it is not necessarily, this is how you're going to swing with a golf club, but we are trying to maximize the potential so you can go and swing a golf club faster in your own controlled method. So I'm very curious about just overall accuracy from your users. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it staying the same? What, what is the feedback you get on that? Yeah, let me jump on this one first, and then Tyler can go through. We did a whole whole study on this last year, which had some really cool results. So. The big picture here, when we start to talk about this from a biomechanics standpoint and how we use our bodies to swing a golf club, is uh, the more athletic, the more efficient we can make the movement, we tend to find a correlation there where that movement's also going to become more consistent and more repeatable. So standing on the first tee, being worried about hitting in the fairway and trying to be careful and guide the ball, we, we've seen this for years as golfers. That tends to not work. Like it doesn't really work with that fairway that you're scared to hit and you get tentative and try to really guide one into the fairway is generally the time where you're about to, you know, end up in a hazard. Like the ones where we hit our best shots are the ones where we get to the tee, we feel good about it, we're freed up, we just swing athletically, let it rip, and the ball tends to go where we want it. Now, proving that is a harder thing to do. But we have definitely seen a correlation, uh, not only with improved distance for our players, but we have seen an, a big correlation in the improvement of various different types of efficiency of the swing. And that efficiency has led to consistency and more accuracy. 
And Tyler can go over our study from last year where we really put hard data to this and, and got some great results. Yeah, and that was, Dan, that was our hypothesis always, those efficiencies that Mike just talked about. And so last summer I did a study where I got a group of golfers who played the same golf course week in and week out. It was a men's club. Uh, we got 11, 12 golfers to join this study. We tracked all of their data on the course using the shot scope, watch, tagging, you know, system where we could see everything they hit, where they hit it, how far they hit it. And then we got, so we got, did a baseline, had them do the overspeed training for uh, five, six weeks, and then put them back on the golf course and kind of looked at what happened out on the course. And, and what we tend to see every single person who goes through that level one training on average, the increase is 20 yards of distance. We just see that again and again and again, you pick these up and do them for five or six weeks. There's 20 yards to be had by almost every single golfer. And that's so on the driver, right? Specifically? With the driver. Yes. Yeah, with okay. the driver. Um, and so they picked up, so this study, they picked up 20 yards of distance. We we're like, okay, that's what we see time and time again. It's not shocking anymore. Uh, but they actually hit 10% more of their fairways out on the course. Um, hmm. so they were not only longer, but they were also straighter, um, out on the course. And when I look at even like TrackMan data in my lab and I look at right to left dispersions pre post training, they either aren't changing or they're getting better. A study I just finished they got better. Um, and so I think that like idea of, you know, buddies, oh, cool, you speed train, pick up 10 yards and, and you're going to be 10 yards further off OB. Like we just don't see that in our data. We didn't see it in an encore study. Uh, and then what's cool is, you know, you get golfers who are hitting the ball, you know, farther and straighter and, and they scored a lot better. Right. And that, that's kind of the end goal, right, is to help these uh, golfers improve their scores. And this is one of the fastest ways to do it. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to you know, look at this and say, "Look, we got a magic pill to be able to fix everything about your golf game." I, I put this little disclaimer on that: is that you need to be working on other things in your golf game too. We know that speed training is going to have a positive effect on on distance. We know it's going to have a positive effect on accuracy off the tee. Um, we know that's going to have an effect on score. That I think those that study was what two point seven strokes around yeah, better in the first battle. I mean that's crazy. That's a lot of that's a big reduction in handicap index for those players. But what I would say there is that there's more to it, right? Like you need to be working on other things in your game. If your skill level in face control on the on, on your driver is like a one out of ten before you do speed training. You know, you're still, it's not going to magically make your ability to control the face better, you know, but what we also see is that if you're a higher skilled player that has an eight out of 10 or nine out of 10 face control, it's still going to be eight or nine out of 10 after you do the speed training. So there's, there's just more to the equation that I think is important. You need to work on multiple aspects of your game to see overall performance. Uh, we just know that out of what we do with super speed, there are a lot of, a lot of pieces of that puzzle that we can help with. I think one one component of that that a lot of folks don't consider is if it's not like you're taking away that time from other golf activities in in most cases. I think these kind of guys they say, "Well, are why are you a better putter than me?" Well, do you go to the practice range and putt? Well, no. Then that's why <laughs> you know uh, with super speed, it it all you're obligated to engage with the golf swing to a certain level more than you would normally. So I'm assuming that's got to be a component of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, look, I mean, I've been a golf coach for 15 years. Like, I, I, uh, I, I, whenever I am building a program for a player, whether it's an amateur player or it's, you know, one of the best players in the world, it's a very similar process. Now, what's in that program may be different, but it's always about modules of practice. So, like, I'm not just going to say, I think this is wrong with your swing, and then just let somebody go off and be like, well, what am I going to do with that information, right? What I think a coach's job is, is to give somebody a specific program of drills to be able to work, to be able to produce a result, right? So if we're building an overall program for a player, we're doing that with every aspect of their game. And that becomes an organized way for those players to be able to track progress, see their gains. One of those, obviously, is a speed program. And we've worked on, I mean, we've built speed programs for probably 300 tour players over the last six, seven years. Like, lots of those we've done, obviously. But the players that we've worked with in a, in a more detailed way, you know, they're also going to potentially have um, programs around other pieces than just speed training. And, you know, heck, their speed training program might be, here's the overspeed training program we do. Hey, you need... Here's some work that you're going to do on ground reaction forces. Here's some stuff we're going to do on ball speed application. There might be a couple modules of practice just on speed. But then, you know, hey, there might also be, here's what you're going to do when you go to the putting green. Here's a set of drills that are going to systematically walk you through distance control. Here's some stuff you're going to do for, you know, line control or green reading. Might have stuff that we do around the chipping green. Like, it's all about creating an ideal practice module for each player based on their strengths and weaknesses um, to help them optimize their overall practice and how help them get the most out of the time that they're using. Cause that's another key point here is that, I mean, most amateurs and heck I I've seen a lot of professional players that are horrible at practicing. They might spend a lot of time doing it, but what they're actually getting out of that time is very little because they're just out there hitting balls over and over again. It's not really doing anything. Like having those really specific programmed out practice modules is really a big key to overall improvement. It, it seems like improvement is uh, a topic of interest for your group. I, I was looking at the website earlier. I saw a couple different items that would uh, support the idea of improving just the overall golf swing. It, it, I would love for you to go into them a little bit. Uh, obviously, we don't... Um, it would probably take three hours to really dive deep in all of them, but uh, things like uh, super speed C or the super speed squeeze, I saw, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, but something where you compress your left foot onto as you go through the swing. There's quite a bit of stuff on the website that allows golfers to develop their swing as well. Uh, so two questions there. Can you share a little bit about those products and also how critical is it that you continue to develop those types of products for golfers? Yeah, well, that's what we're all about. We're all about finding new and better ways to help people in the super speed vein specifically increase speed and power in their golf swing. So everything you see on the super speed site, the main goal is increasing speed and power in one way or another. So let, let me just give you the overview. So you know, we created the three club overspeed training system, right? Everyone's going to get some benefit there. What we found is that over the years, we've had players that have been working with these systems for two, three, four, five, now some for 10 years, right? So how do we get future gains? How do we continue to help those players improve? And what we found is that we got to look at more stuff, right? So you've got that core system, which is which is really the, the backbone of everything we do at Superspeed, coupled with the training protocols. 
Then we started to get really into finding better ways to track progress and to get feedback during those training sessions. So that's where we look at our training tech. Um, PRG, our launch monitor, is one of those primary products. We also have a partnership with Blast Motion. So those two different pieces are able to track progress of how fast you're swinging the different clubs and whether you're hitting a ball or just making a practice swing. And then they also provide feedback so that during a speed training session, I swing the green club and, and the speed went down a little bit. Okay, that's not what it feels like to go faster. Then the next one goes up three miles an hour. That's what it feels like to go faster. So from a basic motor learning standpoint, we're allowing that player to learn what feels make them faster and what make them slower. Beyond that, beyond the training tech, we found that there's some very specific areas that have high correlations um, to helping people get faster. So there's a lot of people that might be deficient in these certain areas. One of them has to do with the way we deliver the club to the ball. So creating good lag in, in the arm and wrist segments, we like to call that downswing loading of the club, is something that a lot of amateur players do very poorly. So the Super Speed C is all about helping really sequence in the upper body segments to really translate the speed we're creating in the body really out to the club head and maximize it at impact. So that's another piece that we added on. That was about four years ago. Um, you mentioned uh, force pedal, which is what we put under the feet and squ you know, squish on the ground. But force pedal is a great product. And in fact, probably is one that I, you know, that's a partner company that we have that we work a lot with. Um, it's one of the best training aids I've ever seen. I use it just about in every golf coaching session that I, I have. Just provides very good feedback for exactly how a player is pushing on the ground and allows them to feel that point of application of force. And we use that all the time to train ground reaction forces. Uh, the last one on that list is, is the Super Speed Squeeze. We released that in December, uh, mainly because we started collecting a whole lot of data on uh, grip strength capacity and how players use that grip strength as grip pressure during the golf swing. Um, and we found that compared to touring professionals, most amateur golfers are in about the 50% range of capacity for how strong their hands and forearms are. And I'd look that on a side as just tour players have really strong hands and forearms because a lot of the things they're doing, and that allows them to do a lot of things with the golf club that amateurs are not able to, including creating more speed, including stabilizing the face through impact, getting through deep rough. All of those different pieces are things that we see big performance differences in in touring professionals. And the physical metric that's a gap there is grip strength. So super speed squeeze is all about helping people improve grip strength. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of an overview, but it, it's really about, finding the core pieces that are going to help everybody and then continuing to dial in a lot of the other deficiencies we see and helping people have a specific program to be able to fix those areas. And I mean, Tyler's seen a lot of this, you know, I think a lot of this is because of a lot of the research that he's seen, you know, he sees, you can talk about amateurs and ground force and sequencing and all of the different pieces we've seen and why we've developed some of those programs. Yeah, and I think, Dan, I'll just add really quickly that the thing that I love, I probably have the funnest job in the world, I think, uh, for someone who does what I do and who also loves golf, because literally what happens at Superspeed isn't just saying, hey, this looks kind of cool. We could probably sell these. Um, they find something that they think works, and then I get a package that shows up on my front porch. 
uh, with a text from Mike or Kyle saying, hey, Tyler, we sent you something. Play around with it on all your tools and equipment. See what you think. And, and I love golf, right, Dan? And, and that's why I, I you know, do all this. And so as a golf addict and as a biomechanist, I basically either test these things and report back to Mike and Kyle and say, hey, man, this squeeze increases grip strength and it increases club head speed. Or the C club is doing these things. And, and anyway, and then when we see stuff that works well, we move it out and, and say, hey, this is another piece of the speed puzzle. Uh, and if it doesn't work well, I get to be the one that says, hey, this, nothing's happening here. There's no reason why we should go down this route. We chalk that up to a loss and I get another uh, package that shows up the next week with the next thing. So that's great. And I, I you know, reading some books from the, the older greats of the game, I, I remember specifically Palmer talking about how critical his uh, grip strength and wrist strength was from all his club working days, uh, saying that he felt like he had an advantage because they were so strong. It, those components and and we certainly don't care that much as amateurs our goal is to go out there and have fun ideally drink a few pops that uh are of the wobbly version and you know see if we can score low so like the idea of training throughout the week is i i would imagine not the highest on on typical golfers lists Uh, but when you have a a program, a component, something, an element that is from a company that you're starting to learn more about that says this will improve that, then maybe it'll be more inclined than just sitting there squeezing one of those uh, grip strengthening tools that you can buy on Amazon, you know? <laughs> sure. Well, we also are pretty careful when we release these programs that we want it to be able to help everybody and we really don't want there to be a downside. So none of the training that you do with super speed is going to negatively affect your game. Uh, you know, there's only upside to doing this stuff. And we've also tried to fit it in so that we know that our customers are busy, right? We know people aren't going to have 10 hours a day or or 20 hours a week like a tour player to to work on their game. I mean, that's why our protocols, we try to get the most out of them with the least amount of time input. I mean, the squeeze protocol takes, again, less than 10 minutes to do. Like, this isn't. I've always been I've always been a little sarcastic with this, but like if somebody's not willing to give like some of these super speed golf training things a, a try, they really don't care that much about their game. I mean, we're asking them for 15 minutes here, you know, 10 minutes here, like little tiny add-ons that can have major positive um, implications to their game. Yeah, I really appreciated the feedback you gave on the radar because we've seen a lot of uh, information come out about it and some folks use it, some folks don't. I don't think there's a really a wrong way to do it. Uh, but when it comes down to your point of saying, talking about just basic efficiency and that you swing hard once and you see this number and you swing hard again and you see a different number, what, why and how is a really, really interesting point. It's not necessarily about you know, getting to that next threshold rather than am I being as efficient as my body's allowing me to be based on the performance of the swing. I, I find that to be a really interesting component that I hadn't considered personally. So I, I appreciated that direction. Look, I, I love the whole motor learning and performance side, I think is one of the most interesting aspects of what we do as, as golf coaches. And I think it can be used really well. And I think it can be used really poorly. You know, we have data and research on everything that we do at Superspeed. Do I share that with most of our players? Absolutely not. Like, I want what they're doing to be the most simple, easy thing possible so that it can develop a feel for that player that they can remember and then learn to repeat. And, and that's what we do when we work with our, our tour players. We're not out there explaining to them 
Well, this player, it was because we increased lead leg vertical force by 30%. That's why you got faster. I mean, that, that doesn't matter to them. Like they, they, they said, man, it felt like I smashed that thing through the ground and, you know, in transition to my swing. I'm like, good. We're going to smash that thing in the ground in the transition, your swing for the rest of your life now. Cause it went up five miles an hour. Like, I don't care. You know, I want to know what it feels like to the players so they can remember it. So they can get the performance goal. We're going to take it on the back end and try to figure out the nuts and bolts of exactly what, what happened there so that we can find more, more gains and more ways to make it better. But it's all, you know, coaching should be extremely easy and simple as far as what the instructions are for you to go do as the player. And the results should be really big. If the input was right, if we recommended the right drill or the right thing to do, it should follow that, that logic. You know, I think where it gets confounded is where we try to overanalyze things with a player and the player gets jumbled up in why things are happening and not just what it feels like when they do it right. Can you share a little bit more about the tour adaptation of the product? Um, not only from a, a comprehension of what they're trying to accomplish, but also their willingness to utilize your program as it's designed. Is it easier for a tour person or is it is it harder? What's the experience there? And, and, and just overall, what sort of engagement has the tour shown for it? Yeah, I, I mean, Tyler, you can jump in on this too, but wow, since inception, I mean, we've, that we know of, we've had over 700 touring professionals around the world work with our products. They like said, we've built programs, custom programs for probably 300 players. Um, you know, I'll bet there's a whole lot more of them that worked with it that never admitted it, but definitely have. I mean, I don't want to claim full responsibility for the fact that like ball speed's gone up on the PGA tour and for like, you know, like seven, eight miles an hour in the last eight, nine years. But I, I can tell you that the integration of speed training programs as a major part of tour player routines has definitely been a contributing factor to what we see going on out on tour now and the increases we see in speed. Um, I'll, I'll say, Dan, too, as we work with players, because you mentioned that idea of adherence and what do they do from a protocol standpoint. And you know, the biggest thing with tour players is it's not really an off season anymore for them, right? They're, they're pretty much playing year round. And so a lot of times what we're trying to do is find these little points in time where they may take off four or five weeks and we can say, awesome, let's hit it hard for these four or five weeks. And then when you get into your tournament weeks, let's do a session or two at the very front end of the week so that we're not maybe fatiguing your body. And then you can be fresh to go out on the tournament. And so I think that's something that we do a lot. Um, I think those touring professionals who are working with high-end trainers, which again, is always the best way to get the best results, but our amateur golfers aren't seeing a golf specific you know, trainer uh four times a week to get these workouts and so for amateur golfers they, they do the protocols the way they're written out and experience great gains but for our professionals they can work with their 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 fitness professionals and say hey let's incorporate these into our workouts and we might do some contrast training where we do something heavy and then rotationally swing these clubs and then throw a med ball right and so they incorporate them into their training and make it really golf specific which has more transferability out to that driver I'd okay. say the a general overview, like when we really started developing these products, that was right in the like 2012 range. We launched in 14. 
there were a handful of players in the world that were really working on a dedicated speed program. I mean, probably count them on one hand back in that time. I mean, as it's progressed to now, there's not a player out on tour that doesn't have some type of speed specific work they were doing. And nobody would even consider the idea of not having a speed specific program that they work on because they've all seen and recognize the benefit of being just a few yards longer off the tee statistically everything it, it just helps every aspect of the game i mean it's one of the most universal things you go a you know handful of yards or 20 yards further off the tee you're hitting shorter irons into the greens you're reaching more par fives i mean every other stat just kind of snowballs down the hill from there um and it's definitely been fully adopted i would say at this point by by professional players around the world wow well, speaking of the tour, is there anyone in particular you guys are hoping to work with or anything coming up here soon for us to, to get to know about? Well, we got a lot of them, actually. We we um, we have a great team right now of uh, tour ambassadors for Super Speed. And, you know, we have a, obviously we have a lot more players working with our stuff than just our, our ambassadors that are out there. But one of the things that, that we did in creating our ambassador program is we wanted to tell some more of the stories of how a lot of these players have used our products. Some of them just getting started with it. Some of them that have used it for a long time, but yeah, I'd love to go through a few of those um, with you. One of the players uh, Tyler brought up a little while ago is uh, Nana Kurtz Madsen, who um, out on the LPGA tour, um, pretty, you know, aggressive, fast player. So like she's, She's one that was in the like 104 to 106 range uh, about a year ago, lost a little speed, um, was down around 100, I believe, when we first started with her. Um, we've got her back cruising in the 108 range, and we actually just had a meeting with her this morning where she said she got out to the range um, and was on track, man, and it was like going at like 110, 111, and she's like, I'm not sure I believe the radar. And we're like, no, that, that's the right answer. It's supposed to... <laughs> It's not supposed to feel like you're trying hard once we start getting there. So I think she's going to be really exciting to watch over this next little string of LPGA majors because um, her, her game off the tee is a huge advantage compared to the field right now. Um, we have another player we're going to be meeting with in a couple weeks, uh, Cheyenne Knight, who's another project we're really excited to get started on. She's a player that doesn't have a significant amount of club speed. So she's, she's kind of in that 135 to 140 ball speed range off the tee. And um, still, you know, she was in the lead by two shots going into the uh, last round of the LA tournament last week. So still very competitive, very great player. And you know, one of those players that, that we always have, a re we feel like there's a big upside on because like these players that have been behind the eight ball a little bit and not been, super long off the tee and have had to have every other aspect of the game running on all cylinders to, to really compete. And those that have figured that out, you know, we've seen many times in the past where those players gain some distance off the tee and it's like the birdie floodgate just opens um, because now all of a sudden they're not having to scramble. They're hitting wedges into greens and things. And it's a way different environment. So we're excited for that program. Um, we've got a player on the corn Ferry tour. Who's I think, fifth or sixth in points. His name's Cody Blick. Um, another situation where he had a player that hasn't had like, a, you know, elite level speed for most of his career. I uh, was coming off an injury was down in the like one Oh six range. Um, 
we had him cruising recently in the like 115 range now, which is, you know, really done some things for his game. Again, kind of opened that birdie floodgate. We actually, I think there was one tournament this season. He was in the top, like top 10 in driving distance in a corn Ferry tour event where, I mean, he was typically low in the field in the one twenties a lot, a lot of times. So that's another one. And then, um, probably one of the big highlights of our ambassador program is uh, Padraig Harrington. And we've heard so much about all the things that he's been doing, gaining speed and maintaining speed into his early fifties and some of the great results he had on the champion store last year. And I mean, even as recently this year, he was in the, he top 10 in the uh, Valero Texas open on the PGA tour. And I mean, we met with him actually about a week, week and a half ago now. And I mean, I think he topped out around 186 ball speed, 126 mile an hour club speed during that session. I mean, he's he's a monster when it comes to creating speed and a really, really fun guy. Um, I mean, he's a guy that's been working with our products for over 10 years. So this is not a, a story that started a couple weeks ago. I mean, he's been working with this stuff and doing speed training for a long, long time. And we're having to integrate a lot of those other detailed elements about the specific use of the ground and exactly what he's doing, um, you know, with some of those aspects and how that relates to the speed training. Um, so it's exciting. And we're going to be able to share a lot of the detail about how we're working those programs as well. So yeah, that's kind of a overview of a, a lot of the players you'll hear a lot more information about from us soon. That's awesome. And what about just general developments of your products? Any new ideas coming out of the pipe that you're working on? I feel like Tyler, you've you kind of sort of maybe have an answer for any of that, anything like that. Oh man, Dan, I'm always thinking about stuff, and uh, usually when you know I present my ideas, we we get so much on the plate at Super Speed, so many exciting things going on. Kind of the running joke in the company is, yeah, we'll attack that third quarter of 2024. Uh, you know, and so I will say this, we're, we're actively uh, doing, you know, data collection. Something I'm really excited about this summer, Dan, is we actually have what's called an instrumented golf club. So in the grip, it actually has a bunch of kind of pressure sensors where I can actually dynamically look at the way a golfer applies force to the grip in a swing. They can hit balls with this driver. Um, and so I'm really excited this summer to be utilizing that a ton seeing exactly how golfers are, are interacting with the grip and how the squeeze training kind of changes that. And I think as we start understanding more about what golfers do as this tech comes out and get be gets better, um, I've got a set of portable 3D plates. I'm going to be doing a ton of stuff over the summer with, and, and it just is going to give us more information and more data that allows us to say, hey, here's, some, here's an additional way we can attack speed. Uh, and let's get after it and do it. So probably the biggest thing we've got launching this year, I would say there's two really big things we've got launching this year. One of them is we have about 12 new protocols that we're going to be releasing that are all geared toward ground reaction force training, sequencing, lag and wrist mechanics training. So actually some more swing mechanics elements that we feel like are it, it's time to release some more detail on exactly what we're going to do there. We also have some some basic supporting physical programs. Um, we recorded a number of different protocols with uh, Jason Glass up in Vancouver a few weeks ago, and we're going to be releasing so you know like a lower body strength program or a core strength program that are you know basic programs that anyone can do safely that could really add to a lot of what we what we look at when, when you're doing overspeed training. So there's a lot of that type of content coming from us. Um, we're involved in working on a 
um, an app project that we're going to have released hopefully early fall, uh, which is really exciting. Um, it's going to have a lot more digital data tracking, but it's also going to have a path to being able to, I would say, incorporate a lot of these extra programs beyond the basic speed programs, um, kind of customize that a little bit for each player that's using our equipment. So uh, those are some of the big things coming this year. Well, there's an awful lot going on. And one of the biggest questions I think people would have is what does it cost to them? Once they buy super speed, what's the next fee? I mean, you just have to, once you buy the system, you're part of the family. So, you know, so we're, we're, let, I'm going to stop you there, Mike, that that's kind of a big deal, right? Like, you, you see all these programs, they come with uh, membership fees or <clears throat> a, you unlock additional components by incorporating this piece. The, the idea that you're spending so much time trying to improve this process tells me two things. Number one, you deeply believe in the success of the project, uh, the, the product you're uh, including. And number two, you're inherently committed to those who are trying to get better and improve their speed. I, I think those are things that really need to be featured here, that there's no fee associated. No, I agree. I think one of the biggest problems, uh, you know, as a golf professional, one of the biggest problems I see with training aids in general in the world of golf is that there's just not a lot of accompanying support once you buy them. Like, you know, you see them in the store, it kind of says, okay, improve this, but there's no data behind it really. There's no program associated, but, you know, you buy it, you try it once, and then it ends up in the closet. Like, that's not what we're about. I mean, this is ongoing training. Like, again, we've had many, many tour players have been working for, with these products for over 10 years now, and they're still seeing gains. Um, you know, we're all about that, that level of product support. Um, we are considering when, when we launch the app, doing a, a portion of that, that has a little bit of a fee associated where players could actually get advice and feedback and interaction with our actual team. Um, you know, that that piece we may integrate into that system as it comes out, as we feel like there is going to be a segment of the population that may want that level of kind of personal contact. But all of our training product, the training protocols, the you know what you need to do when you buy any of these products, you're never going to be purchasing a product from Superspeed Golf and you're not going to have exactly what you need to do and exactly what you should expect to get out of this. Like those are key components to every single thing we're ever going to release at Superspeed. Well, it sounds great. And, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the continued progression of that. The app sounds really interesting. I, I love that the tour has totally adapted this. Uh, you mentioned hundreds of pros willing to take on a system that, that clearly works for everyone. And, and, and I want to thank you both for coming on today. Uh, typically at the end of my shows, I let, anyone either ask questions or you know throw anything out to the the ether that they'd love to so more than welcome to do that now go ahead tyler all you <laughs> man this is tough on the spot i will say this dan because this this happened just the other day right so uh mike knows this i've got six kids dan life is busy <laughs> Um, and so I think what attracts me about, uh, about this is the short term of the training, right. With all these kids, but I have one particular kid, as we talk about junior training, I am her soccer coach right now. Uh, her last two games, she scored four goals each game. I'm thinking maybe she's got a career in soccer. Um, I put a golf club in her hands and she swung around a little bit, but the other day I finally gave her a few tips, um, just some setup things, nothing crazy. And she responded really favorably to everything that was going on. And my kids won't ever listen to this podcast. They're not old enough to listen to podcasts. So 
I am I am putting this out there, Dan. She is my most talented athletic child. I think she has a real potential uh, in golf. But I am going to keep having her play soccer and run fast and swing things hard. Uh, but she's the one that I put golf clubs in that I think she she's gonna she's gonna make something of herself in golf. So th- that's going out to the ether for me, Dan. That's exciting. You got that committed there. I got a seven year old, and I keep telling him, "Give up this baseball and football and basketball stuff. We're golfers. You know that, right?" <laughs> oh, just keep him playing everything. Yeah, I, I, you know, we, we got this on the kids. I mean, I have a five year old daughter and a four year old son um, at home, and I mean. I just want them to have fun with everything that they're doing. We're letting them try a bunch of different activities. Um, And all of it just, as long as it stays fun for kids and that they're competing a little bit with it and they're having a good time, you know, my, my goal is to, you know, help them have the potential to play whatever sport they want. Um, But it's really important that they enjoy it and they want it. You know, I think, as parents, it's easy for us to want to try to specialize our kids in things early that we like. Um, I'm really kind of more on that side of I, I want to create them. I want them to help them become great athletes, and then they can do whatever they want. But uh, the only thing I'm taking from the two of you talking about kids is that Super Speed Junior's coming. It's <laughs> inevitable at this point, and expected in stores by 2024, late 2024, right? Oh, it's already there. We, we've had <laughs> we, we have products down to age five. There you go. Right so yeah, it's already, in, it's already in the works. Perfect. <laughs> hey guys, thanks again. Uh, really looking forward to seeing what's coming to this and, and maybe we'll have you on again. I need to start the program. I actually have the sticks here. Uh, so, so I'm going to get started on this program. Maybe I'll have you back on in a few months. See uh, if, if I've learned anything about myself. What do you think? Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Dan. just, uh, like I said, follow it along. I would say, try it just like anyone else that bought the program. Just go to the website start the level one protocol and follow the instructions. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be really interested to hear your results. Great. Hey, everyone out there, if you're listening in and you want to gain a little bit of speed, don't be afraid of it. Go get some super speed sticks for yourself. Uh, and also check out the website cause they have some really cool concepts on there, uh, that, that support other parts of your game as well. Uh, and let us know how it's going. We'll have a thread up on THP to talk about it. Um, so we get to hear your firsthand perspectives. Either way, if you're playing golf this weekend, have fun, make it count, and we'll see you next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.